Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening, and we want others to love it, too. Yes, we do, and we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Carol. Hello, Dee. How are you today? I am just fine. It is 16 degrees Fahrenheit at my house, which is colder than where you live, which makes no sense. I'm at 20 degrees. It was very cold earlier in the week. It's still cold. I'm still going to walk outside, though. They say that on Thursday, we're going to have a high of nine. That's not very warm. No, this is the longest stretch of cold weather they think that is under 20 degrees that Oklahoma is ever going to have. I think it's going to be like 12 days. So anyway, it's a big Arctic front that just seeped down into the Middle Plains and then the Lower Plains, which is where I live. So it's going to be cold, and I guess I'll walk on the treadmill. Yeah, that's that's always an option, although that is so boring. But so boring. I have an exciting update today, Dee. Oh, please. I was working on my newsletter, and I got a text, and I thought, is that Dee? Who is that? It was Courtney from the local greenhouse. She texted me a picture of a first little viola flower that has popped up in the greenhouse. And so, of course, I'm putting that in my newsletter. I'm going to write a blog post about it. But she she texted me that picture. She says, first bloom. It's beautiful. Oh, that's exciting. So in other gardening news. Yes. My cyclamen is starting to rebloom for Valentine's Day, which is lovely. That is lovely. I can't even keep cyclamen alive, so I bow to you on that. Thank you. And, you know, those puzzles I'm putting together of the seed catalogs? Yes. I'm on, so last week I had finished the first one. I'm now on the fourth one. Wow. I'm burning through them. That's because you have nothing to do because it's winter. <laughs> wow. They're part of my home improvement redecorating project because I'm going to frame them. So I got to get them done to get them ready to get framed. (laughs) Okay. And so you're going to move on now to rose catalogs? Well, that's the last one is a rose catalog. Vintage rose catalogs. So there's flowers, fruits, vegetables, and roses. Fun. That (laughs) reminds me. I need to go pick up some pictures I had um framed at Hobby Lobby so I need to do that this week I promised I my would that's good so tell me about your gardening because I don't think you got a lot done last week to be quite honesty I didn't get a lot done last week I was still sick I'm better now so I still haven't planted my onion seeds but I will this week I mean it's not like I'm in a super big hurry um, I did bring in some of my hyacinths in the cold frames and it worked sort of Although I'm not sure they got enough cold. So maybe next year I'll just put them next to the uh, greenhouse outside. I'll think on that. Um, One of my tiny iris reticulatas bloomed that I brought inside. And I'm waiting on the others. It was really beautiful, though. That one little bloom. Oh, those are gorgeous. That's one of my favorite spring flowers. About an inch high. It was a tiny little iris. It was so sweet. So that's my update. 
Hyacinths do need way more chilling than people expect. I mean, I always figure minimum of 10 weeks in the refrigerator. Well, I put them out in those cold frames probably 12 weeks ago, but I suspect it, we had a really mild winter until just now. So I think they never got cold enough, but they are blooming. They're just not doing the whole giant bloom. So they still smell good. So I consider it a win. Very good. And so you brought up Iris Reticulata, and that takes us right into the first quote. You want to do it? Sure. I have had more than half a century of such happiness, a great deal of worry and sorrow too, but never a worry or sorrow that was not offset by a purple iris, a lark, a bluebird, or a dewy morning glory. Mary McLeod Bethune. Oh, that's a beautiful quote. Good job. It is. And that's like sort of serendipity that you talked about iris reticulata and then the quote ends with and has irises in it ends with morning glory because we're going to talk about for a flower the annual morning glory vines yes cool i'm ready how do you pronounce that botanical genus name d uh ipomia how do you pronounce it i i don't ipomia that's fine i'm gonna say ipomia yeah Yes. It's Latin. Who cares? <laughs> do you grow morning glories, Dee? You know I do. I've grown Grandpa Ots, which we're going to talk about. If you grow Grandpa Ots, you will always have Grandpa Ots forever and ever. Amen. I've also grown Heavenly Blue, and I've grown Flying Saucers, and I've grown the double one. I've grown a bunch of morning glories. I like them. I like them as well, but I do not let them Don't go to seed. Them. At all. I mean, I'll let them grow, let them bloom, and then I'll just cut the whole vine off and say, good enough. I do not want those to self-sow because my littlest sister will tell you, if you let them self-sow, you will have them forever. You'll never get rid of them. I have them forever. I have to dig them up, pull them up. Nice thing is there's a billion seeds, but they are really easy to pull up the seedlings. So... I don't consider them that big a deal, but I just always warn people, if you're going to grow annual morning glory vines, you either, like you said, have to take them down pretty quickly, or you're going to have them forever. And Grandpa Otz is a beautiful color, but he is definitely, um, what would you say, floriferous and produces a ton of seeds. Yeah, so Grandpa Otz, we should tell people, is a deep, dark purple And heavenly blue is that lighter shade of blue, and it's got sort of a white throat. Yeah, and Grandpa Otz has kind of a hot pink throat in that deep, dark purple. And so so we should say also that a lot of Morning Glories have definitely have guides for pollinators to come in and pollinate them. And which is the heavenly blue is the white throat, and Grandpa Otz is that dark pinkish orange in the center, which is so beautiful against that purple. I have a lot of good pictures of Grandpa Otz. And then Flying Saucer, to me, looks kind of tie-dyed. Yeah, they describe it in Botanical Interest. I looked them up. Uh, has white with blue pinwheels, they said. Mm-hmm. And it, I would call it almost variegated. It's very pretty. I've never heard of the double pink one, though. The double pink one, Bustani Plant Farm has it almost every year. And um, I've grown it several times, and it is really beautiful. And it, but it does not spread a lot of seed like the other ones do, probably because pollinators really can't get to the blooms. No, but it looks like cousin it. Yeah. 
And so, correct me if I'm wrong, but the annual morning glories are native vines. Is that correct? I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know either. So, let's not... I do know that botanical interests list a chocolate morning glory, which they show as a vigorous vine. And it has variegated leaves and coral-colored flowers, and it is from Japan. Okay. For sure. I'm looking up the other one. Okay, so Ipomoea purpurea is native to Central and South America, but it's made itself home across North America. And according to the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, it is a controversial plant. It is considered an ornamental garden plant by some and vilified as a weed by others. Um, I'd say that's very, very true. It is true. And on the botanical interest site, when I was looking up the different varieties, they will not, they cannot ship seeds to Arizona or Arkansas for morning glories. And I guess they're banned there. But then I read another article, if you live in Arizona, that they have changed as of January of last year. You can buy seeds in Arizona. Interesting. So it's they kind decided- of confusing. But I imagine. It's just they've created a mess in the farm fields and things. Probably. In Arkansas. Or in the woods, you know. Oh. Because there's so much stuff that gets in the woods in Arkansas and northeast Oklahoma that just takes off and causes problems. Um, I was also thinking about the fact that morning glory vines are poisonous. As, yes. as are their seeds. And and so is datura, which is another vine that people grow. Um you need to be careful with them. Don't eat them, I guess. I mean, there was a big thing with... Who de- would? Well, there was a big thing with Detura. Kids were using it to get high, but I've never heard that with Morning Glory. If you do want to grow them, they are they need support, right? And you also probably yes. want to soak the seeds or you want to rub them against a file to break that seed coat. They'll do a lot better if you do that. Um, they can take over a garden if you're not careful. Yes, and my little sister, like I said, she planted morning glory vines, and she always sort of gets seduced in the spring by this little twirling vine that kind of comes up around the gazebo and different places, and she thinks it looks really sweet. And and then by August, she's like, why did you let me keep all these morning glory vines? And I'm like, I told you. Yeah. I can't do nothing for you now. Except don't let those things go to seed. <laughs> and there's that other um, weed that I, I'm trying to think of the name of it, but it's that weed that looks like a small morning glory, and it comes up. Field bindweed. Yes, field bindweed. I have fought field oh bindweed God. in my garden for years, and I, th- as of last couple of years, it's been gone, knock on wood, um, but it'll come back. And it has roots to China. You actually have to spray it to get rid of it. Right, and... I didn't have any in my garden. Uh-huh. I didn't have any field bindweed in my garden until a couple of years ago, and then it showed up because the birds eat the seeds, and, and then they out. poop them out under shrubs, and then you're just like, oh, my gosh. And I just keep pulling it out and pulling it out because I don't want – I don't really want to bother with spraying it. I'm just going to keep pulling it. I had to I had to finally cut it all the way back, you know, to be about an inch high, and then I did spray it because it was in my roses, and it is really hard to get out of roses, you know, yes. thorns, and it wraps around roses. It's really bad. So I did spray it in this one bed, and I used a piece of uh, cardboard between the rose and the bindweed and just sprayed the bindweed. But that took some real, um, you know, I try to be as organic as possible, but occasionally 
If I have something I really can't get rid of, I have to use something. And this is this is why I can't be a garden coach because I was at this garden on a tour or whatever, um, and I think it was in an elementary school where they had this vegetable garden and they had all this field bindweed that was coming up. And they're like, what yeah. should we do? And I'm like, move the garden. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> move the garden. Because they were kind of committed to organic. I says, you know, you can solarize the soil for a couple of years. I don't know how long it would take. But you really have to do something pretty drastic to get rid of it once you have it. Yeah, it's really a problem. And um if you're growing it where there's food crops, that would be really hard. There are a few organic sprays you can use, but they won't kill the roots. They only kill the top growth. So, yeah, there we go. Uh, the local greenhouse that I go to, they had a garden in the ground. They had bindweed everywhere. And they finally, they put down a big sheet of plastic and they filled it all with gravel. Uh-huh. And then they got those huge stock tanks. Oh, and that's they a filled good those idea. with soil. And they have this beautiful little vegetable garden now that's all in the different sizes of stock tanks and stuff. And right. it's easy to garden in it. They don't have to worry about weeds coming up through that plastic and gravel. So it's really turned what was an eyesore into something that's really beautiful. Well, that's nice. That's good to hear. I love raised beds. So to wrap up morning glories, they're beautiful. We say grow with caution. Grow yeah. Grow with caution. Grow with caution. Okay, so... This is funny, the quote that you chose for sweet potatoes, because we used this quote before, and it sent me down a giant rabbit hole. So nobody's really sure he actually said this, but he does grow sweet potatoes on his farm. He has a farm. Do the quote. Okay, here's the quote. My dream is to become a farmer, just a bohemian guy pulling up his own sweet potatoes for dinner. Lenny Kravitz. Where is his farm? I think it's in uh, Brazil, I think. I would have to That's look what it up. I was thinking. Yeah. We, we, That's what I was thinking. I went down a whole uh, I went down a whole thing over this quote, trying to make sure that it actually existed, and I never could find it, but there is a great video. Yes, his, he has an 18th century coffee plantation near Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and that's where he lives when he's not working on a movie or something and he has a whole staff and there's the most beautiful, you guys could should go and look at the video. The video is in architectural digest and it's just a fun video to watch. And he does this interview and shows everybody his house and his farm. And does he farm? Well, why don't not you really. give us, give me a link to the video and I'll include it with our show notes. I will be glad to, we will link to that everybody. So we are talking about sweet potatoes which are also ipomia, ipomia batatas, yes. at least And this right is now. native to South Central America. Right. And so we are all familiar with the sweet potato vines that you, you pick up when you're buying all your stuff for containers and everything from lime green to really, really dark, almost black leaves that you use as an accent. Right. The black those ones are, called black. Those are sweet potato vines. Right. And you, if you dig out of your containers, you'll see little sweet potatoes down there. Um, have you grown sweet potatoes in your garden, Dee? Yes, I have. I have a really, I mean, it's a really, not. I wouldn't say famous picture, but there's a picture of my potage just overrun by sweet potato vine. And that was a year I grew sweet potatoes before I had the lavender in there. I love that picture. And I always use it in talks as a joke 
of how your garden can get out of hand really quickly in the summer. Um, I, those were great sweet potatoes. We should say that sweet potato vines that are ornamental were just sweet potatoes that didn't make very good sweet potatoes. And professors got a really, they got, had a good idea and said, well, let's grow these as ornamentals. And that's where marguerite comes from. And I want to say it's from the University of Georgia, but I could be wrong. Um, it's a great story about taking something that was really trash and it became treasure. Right. And I, they, you know, the local greenhouse will tell you she sells, she sells those sweet potato vines. Everybody buys those that put, tuck into the container to have them spill over. And by the way, you get the picture of your potage with all the sweet potato vines. You shared yes. that with me and I use it in talks as well. And I said, this is what happened to my good friend Deeg. Let her garden get out of control with sweet potato vines. Yeah, that was at the end of summer, and it was something else. I did. I grew. I grew those sweet potatoes. I've done it several times, and um, they were delicious. I have to say, easy to grow in Oklahoma. A little bit more difficult the further north you get because they do need a long season to mature. And so I went to this time. I went to the Michigan State Cooperative Extension Service. They have a nice article about growing sweet potatoes, and they recommended a variety called Beauregard mm-hmm. was one that matures rapidly in cooler conditions. It'll t- still take you all summer to get a decent sweet potatoes, but... Yeah, we have a long season, so I'll, I'll tell people, just whichever sweet potato slips you want to order and buy, except for the ornamental ones, don't try to grow those as a crop. They'll do fine here. Beauregard is fine. Uh, Jewel does fine. There's a bunch of different ones. And so, and there are also Japanese sweet potatoes. And Japanese sweet potatoes have white flesh with a dark purple outside, and they're good too. They're sweet, but they're drier than the orange flesh sweet potatoes, which is an interesting thing. And you can also grow those. It's, they don't like frost. You've got to dig them before frost because they'll rot otherwise. Um, super easy to grow here. So just have a bunch of space to do it. Much easier to grow than regular potatoes here. Yeah, I think regular potatoes are easier to grow here than sweet potatoes. Although I will tell you, I have not tried to grow my own sweet potatoes. Uh, I just don't have the space. But I've gone to the farmer's market a couple years ago, and this guy had these sweet potatoes that were as big as your head. Um, yeah, they get huge. Some of them. Mine didn't. Mine were just regular sized. So I don't know how good they would be when they're that big. And I, I don't like seek out sweet potatoes to eat. If they're served to me, I, I will eat them, but I'm not a, not a big fan. My daughter Claire does not like sweet potatoes either. I love them. I would eat them. I love them roasted. I love them every which way. So I love sweet potatoes, but, and they're really good for you. And if you're doing like paleo, um, they're a big part of your diet. Oh, well, see, I don't hate them, but like I said, I don't seek them out. So anyway, let's move on to our book. Yes. We're going to talk today about Plant Partners by Jessica Walliser. And Jessica is a science scientist. She's a horticulturist. And um, I was really intrigued by this book, book when it was sent to me, and you asked for it too. And after reading most of it, I will say I am more intrigued by it. I like her premise. So the very the idea it's about companion planting, 
but scientists don't like that term because it's been overused. It really didn't have any scientific basis. And so this is about the idea of intercropping or growing things together for various benefits. And the first chapter is all about what those benefits might be and how plants work together with, and this is all scientifically based. So um, I like the idea of, I'm just going to talk about one piece of chapter one, which was the third thing, which was chemical messaging systems. And because right. they've been doing a lot of research recently, that's on page 20, um, we now know that plants send out chemical signals and they do it in a variety of ways. And so there's a lot of what, one of the coolest things they do, in my opinion, is that when they're under attack by an insect, they send out these herbivore-induced plant volatiles, which are also called green leaf volatiles in the air. Those are chemical messages in the air, and some of those messages tell other plants nearby, watch out, I'm being eaten by beetles. And then, but they also send them out to beneficial insects who might come and kill whatever that is. So I would, I mean, I don't, I, I didn't get to the part, I'm not on the part where a good example of a beneficial insect are those wasps that go in and um, lay their eggs inside tobacco and tomato worms. Now, I don't know if tomatoes send out those chemical messages. I bet they do. But, um, they, they come, the wasps come and they lay their eggs in the creature. Right. And then eventually it eats, it eats them from the inside out. Nature is a cruel, cruel mistress. But I was looking at all the various combinations that she has. And so she lists the combination and then she tells why it's a good combination and what it does. And D, I direct you to page, what page is that? I direct you to page one, 109. Okay. So, zucchini and nasturtiums for squash bugs. And this is based on an actual uh, study done at the Iowa State University. They found a significant decrease in the number of squash bugs and the amount of squash bug damage when nasturtiums, which we talked about, what, two weeks ago? No, last week. Last week, did we talk about nasturtiums? Yes, last we did. Week. Mm-hmm. When they're grown side by side with zucchini compared to when the gr- zucchini is grown by itself. So now I know exactly where I'm going to plant all my nasturtiums. I'm going to plant them amongst my zucchini. Yeah, that might be worth a try. Um, here, nasturtiums are a cold weather flower and zucchini is a warm weather squash, but I think it might be worth doing. So I'm going to grow my zucchini again and my um, yellow squash. I'm going to grow them in that vegapod because I thought that vegapod worked really well. Right. And I will put some nasturtiums in there with it because why not, right? Yes. Anyway, I just thought that was really good and just a uh, like you said, science-based information. And and instead of calling it companion planting, plant partners is a good way because she explains how they partner with one another. And the the subtitle is science-based companion planting strategies for the vegetable garden. Yeah, and the, each chapter after chapter one deals with a particular thing. So like chapter five, which is the one we were just talking about, deals with pest management. And so that's interesting. There's one on diseases. 
Um, there's a lot of different, so she, in each chapter explains to you why this might work. So here's one about hornworms. So tomatoes and basil for hornworms. All right. I always plant basil with my tomatoes because I just do. And it says that it's shown to limit egg laying behaviors by the adult moths whose leaf eating larvae known as tomato and tobacco hornworms. Um, and it says tomato and tobacco hornworms are two closely related species of moths. Thank you, Jessica, for saying that because people often think they're the same moth. And sometimes they think it's a good, one of the beautiful hornworms. It's not. They're not the beautiful ones. So they're large brown adults. They're active at night. They like to sip nectar from tubular flowers and lay eggs on members of the nightshade family, especially tomatoes is my experience. Um, pretty cool. Pretty I mean, pretty interesting. You'll like chapter eight as well, which is about bringing more pollinators to the garden through the perfect yes. plant pollinator matches, which is also good. And she's got a beautiful photo of that. And uh, it, it looks to me like a zinnia, but it could be something else of a butterfly that's sitting on top of a flower. It's gorgeous. Chapter seven is about biological control, plant partners that attract and support pest-eating beneficial insects. So I think this book is really, really good, and I'm glad they sent it to me. Um, yes, you know what that butterfly is on chapter eight? on a Oh, that's on a tithonia. That's not a zinnia. That's a tithonia. I didn't Mexican, think it was a You didn't? Yeah, it's a Mexican uh, whatever that is. Tithonia, and it's a great plant for butterflies and bees. That's an eastern tiger swallowtail on there. You can tell by its little tiger stripes. Cool. Very cool. It is a very, very cool book. I'm impressed. Um, I love that she talks about a native bee drinking from a blueberry flower. That's a carpenter bee. We have those here in Oklahoma. A lot of people wish we didn't, but that's okay. I think that's they're good. important. So great so, book. I'm really impressed. It is. It's Plant Partners, Science-Based Companion Planning Strategies for the Vegetable Garden by Jessica Walliser. And we say, well done, Jessica. That's not a book we're going to give away. No, we're keeping keep that it. that for ourselves. Yeah, we are. And we're going to keep it and use it as for ideas to plant things together this summer. Yes. A lot more exploration into that book. So let's move on to our dirt. What started this whole journey? through Sweet Potatoes and Morning Glories. Okay, do you want to do the quote first, or are we going to skip it? Oh, we got a quote for this? Oh, we do. We have a quote because you're going to tell me about this other book that you read. Yeah. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. William Shakespeare. Which reminds you? That I, I read this book. It's a historical fiction called Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. And... um I got to read it. It's historical fiction, and it's based on Shakespeare's wife. And interestingly enough, she's portrayed as a beekeeper and herbalist. And I'm in. I I'm love in. the book. It's, I mean, it's <laughs> historical fiction. Who knows if it's true or not? But it's interesting because it's about Shakespeare's wife, but they never mention William Shakespeare by name. They, they talk about her and everything. So I'm going to recommend that to you, Dee. Good. I'm also going to be recommending that in my newsletter. I really did enjoy it. Well, I'm going to read it too because I think that's pretty cool. Um, I think it's cool that he isn't mentioned by name because he gets enough press, right? Exactly. And we don't know too much about Shakespeare, really, uh, the person. And so, of course, we don't know too much about his wife. But what a great idea to write about her. You could have fun. Yeah, it's good. So... The dirt is the what about it, the whole reason for that quote 
was A, so I could tell you about that book, and B, yeah, because the sweet potato, you sent me this article that the Ipomia genus has over 900 species in it. And so the taxonomists, big. they think, well, that that's really two genuses, so they need to split it up. But mm-hmm. the way they do things, it's like the sweet potato and the morning glory, which are the most economically valuable plants in that genus, the way they would do it, they would give them new names, which would be confusing and expensive. Confusing. Yeah, because every, all the labels that people have done over the years, all the stuff that's been written about uh, sweet potatoes, because sweet potatoes are probably one of the most important crops, sweet potatoes and squash, in the world. Because they feed so many people, especially in areas that are tropical, like in Africa, for example. They are one of the major food crops. And the truth is, they're extremely important in the United States. Exactly. So the taxonomists are saying, even though the way they, and I won't even go into their rules. We'll leave a link to the article. For oh the my gosh, it was people. so confusing. The way they do the rules, it's like they have an index plant for a genus. And so that index plant kind of decides what else is in the genus. And the index right. plant for the Ipomia is not the one that would go with the sweet potato and the morning glory. And they would be split off. So anyway, it's really confusing. They're trying very hard not to change the genus names. So it was a fascinating article. And really what I thought was interesting is these people who study this stuff and are like experts on this genus, they've gotten together around the world on Zoom to talk about these issues, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, they're having... They're having meetings, just like the doctors are having meetings about COVID. This is a really important issue. And so they are having big meetings because they're trying to get them to bend the rules slightly so that they don't have to rename sweet potatoes and morning glories, among other things. It's a really complicated issue. I thought the article was really complicated. And um, we had to, I had to laugh because I sent it to you and I was like, um, read this because it's making my head spin. And so you read it and you go, no wonder. It's a very interesting article. All right. So let's do our garden commissions really quick. We're talking, we're talking long this week. Let's talk about our garden commissions. Okay. So it's bitter cold here. So I'm not doing any gardening. I'll be real. I'm just keeping the indoor plants alive and, you know, and I'm waiting on my last seed order. I do want to extend a special thank you to Marie who is at the Lazy W blog. She gave us a lovely shout out on her blog last week about our sunflower episode. And she not only gave us a shout out there, but she gave us a shout out on Facebook, on Instagram. She tagged me. It was the sweetest thing ever. And she's one of my dear friends. And so thank you, Marie. And I, maybe that's why our stats are so good. Maybe. Anyway, thank you, Marie. We very much appreciate it. It is cold here, so there'll be no gardening outside. I am for real going to organize my seeds. I'm going to I'm going to have a beautiful spreadsheet to show you next week. I'm going to finish the last of those puzzles and start uh, putting the glue stuff on them to preserve them. Get some frames ordered so that I'll have seed catalogs all over my den. That sounds really good. So anyway, that's it for this week. We want to thank you for listening to the Garden Angelist. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others.
Yes, it does. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support this podcast, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we earn a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.